I have went from a non-vocal little math teacher in my classroom trying just to improve my own little space to being a voice for others. And I, I didn't know, maybe I didn't know that that voice was there, or maybe we are so accustomed to not getting to have a voice, not even getting a seat at the table. So maybe my voice has always been there. It's just no one's ever asked me the questions before. This is High Tech High Unboxed. I'm Alec Patton, and that was the voice of Janet Hanshaw. Janet teaches math at Chapmanville Regional High School in West Virginia. In this episode, you'll also hear from Joanna Burt Kinderman, an instructional coach in the Pocahontas County School District, also in West Virginia. Janet and Joanna spoke to Stacy Callier, director of the Center for Research on Equity and Innovation at the High Tech High Graduate School of Education, about a project they're both a part of, Mountaineer Mathematics Master Teachers, or M3T. It's a network of math teachers in West Virginia who are working together to improve their teaching, and they're doing it in really exciting ways. Last April, Janet and Joanna ran a workshop at the Carnegie Summit on Improvement in Education in San Diego. Apparently, just about everyone who was in that room told Stacy that she had to find out more about what they're doing, so she set up this interview. I love this conversation so much for a whole bunch of reasons, but the biggest one is that everyone is just so real and honest about what it's like to try to change your teaching. I'm so excited for you to hear it, so let's get into it. So I'm so excited about this conversation. Today we get to learn about the Mountaineer Mathematics Master Teacher Network in West Virginia, or M3T for short, because that's a mouthful. So we'll refer to it as M3T from here on out, and how they are using improvement science to empower math teachers and math students to collaborate and creatively solve problems. I first heard of this network a few months ago at the Carnegie Summit, where the two women we're going to talk with today, Janet and Joanna, were leading a workshop. Afterward, multiple people came up to me blown away by what's happening in this network and across the state. As a result of this teacher-led work, students are engaged in daily math talk, middle and high school math test scores in the district have risen, and districts that have struggled to retain math teachers in the past are seeing teachers energized, feeling a sense of pride and ownership, and leading the work. If you have ever wondered how we can use improvement to shift instruction, and do it in a way that doesn't just prescribe solutions, but engages educators as problem solvers, this conversation is for you. So let me introduce you to Janet and Joanna. Janet Hanshaw has been teaching math for over 30 years and for the last 12 years has been at Chapmanville Regional High School in Logan County. She's a third year fellow in the M3T network. Joanna Burt Kinderman, is a co-lead of the M3T Network and an instructional coach for Pocahontas County Schools. Thank you both for being here. It's great to be here. Thank you for having us. So I wanna start by just giving you both a chance to introduce yourselves and share any identity markers that shape how you show up in the world or in this work. Janet, would you like to go first? Sure. Um, Let's see, I've grown up in West Virginia, uh, educated, grade school, high school, I did go into Kentucky to a very small rural school for college to get my teaching degree. See, I'm married. Been married to my husband for 28 years. Bless his heart, he's been married to a teacher for 28 years. (laughs) (laughs) And only people married to teachers or who are teachers understand what that really entails. I have two boys who are 
I guess, adult children. They're 23 and 20. That's Austin and Kevin. And as you noted earlier, I've been teaching 30 years. I just closed out my classroom today for 30 years. 4,500 students, approximately, have been through my classroom doors. That's just remarkable. Um, it's so what an honor to be here with Janet and 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 supporting her on behalf of all of our fellows to share this story. I'm Joanna. Um, I grew up in West Virginia, left at 17, sure that I would never come back here to live. And I'm so grateful that I found my way back here to raise my own family. I have two teenage girls and I'm an instructional coach in Pocahontas County Schools in the nine to five, along with running this network and after hours uh, play upright bass every chance I get. So um, those are the pieces of, of my life. Also married to a, a very patient uh, man, grateful for him <laughs> for his support of all of these things too. All right, so Joanna, I want to start with you because you helped launch M3T and I'd love to just have you start with what was the problem that you were trying to solve when you launched this network? So I think from maybe my second year teaching, I started teaching when I was 21, it became so strange to me that no amount of teacher learning looked like any piece of best practice of learning in a classroom with students. And so this idea has been in a petri dish in my head and heart for a long time. And I had about a 10 year journey here as an instructional coach in Pocahontas County with a lot of support, a lot of freedom to curate a learning community of teachers in, in kind of a different way. And during that time, intersected with folks who noted that what we were doing here looked a lot like improvement science. Those weren't words that I had ever heard. But together, really felt that this was an approach really successful in one district and deserved sharing across more spaces than just our, our, our district is the most rural east of the Mississippi. So we're incredibly rural space, incredibly isolated from other places, even in West Virginia and met a research friend who I really dig, which is a, you know, a rare friend to find if you're me, um, a researcher who really honors practice and practice-based knowledge. I certainly could have gone to get a PhD. It was a choice I, I did not want to make. I want to stay right where I am. And it was really cool to find someone who felt that the academic community should learn from the grassroots efforts of how to make schools better. And so in that partnership, he and I together kind of hatched a plan to scale the basic approach that was happening here in Pocahontas County School District across more spaces. Um, and we were very fortunate to find partnership in the National Science Foundation, um, our Department of Ed, and all 29 districts at this point are also supporting this work. So really feel very lucky to have opportunity to try out a pretty different idea about how to get better teaching and learning happening um, across more spaces together with some really wonderful uh, partners. Certainly, first and foremost, Janet and the rest of the fellows in our network. So I'm gonna link the Ed Week article that you were featured in so that people can learn more about the work <laughs> and about the history the, of it. The, what, the one time I had my uh, hair professionally done, yes, it was It exciting. does look so good in that picture. <laughs> it was such good hair, it. yes. I have to admit that I saved the, the big, uh, you go to one of those events and they make big posters of you. I saved it. And that if my terrifying. husband or children are ever bl brats, I unroll it. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a six foot picture of your face. There's a six foot face. 
Well, in that article, I really appreciated that one of the things that that you had talked about was also how you started this work with a with also a goal of addressing this pipeline issue where you're having folks who are in the profession, but they're not staying in the profession. Can you just say a little bit more about how that informed the network and how you decided to structure it or who should be in it? Absolutely. So it occurred to me as well as starting with myself. I mean, I taught in middle and high school classrooms, uh, community college, and in all of those spaces felt like I was solving micro puzzles that I wanted to know if they could be solved in the same way with someone else's hands and someone else's setting. And so the natural progression is to have someone say, well, go get a master's degree in admin, like become an administrator. That's how you do this kind of stuff. Um, And so you take a young teacher who is a pretty promising young math teacher and you remove them from the thing that they're good at. Um, And I did do one of those programs and they're terrible. Like one thing I would never want to be as a principal of a school. Um, God bless people who want to do that. Uh, But I do feel that some of our most promising leaders don't have a natural home in the classroom. And one of those reasons is that you continue to want to solve the next puzzle. And so if you could find a way in which people can influence more than their own 20 to 100 kids that they're dealing with right now, then they're able to solve the next puzzle. And I think that, you know, I have never met a teacher who was motivated by the schedule or the workload or the or the payment plan. People are here to solve puzzles. And I, I really believe that any approach at professional development needs to include that, which means you have to offer the agency to people to define those puzzles that they want to solve in the first place. Um, And in the very infancy of this work, we really were coming together as a department of middle and high school math teachers and saying, what bugs you? Like, what are the things that aren't going the way your dream classroom should go? And then together, digging into the ones that we had in common, the bugs that kind of bugged us all, um, to try to better understand the nature of those things and then collectively try to test some different ideas to make them better and really keep our conversation focused on this humble space in which we had that that shared bug. Um, and we have anecdotal stories. They're not, you know, no, no kind of sterile research of folks saying, I would have left the classroom if I wasn't part of this community here in this district. That was one of the big stories that sort of trickled up. Um, And we do see that across the work of the network right now. Not to say that people haven't left teaching, they have. Fellows have left teaching. Um, Teaching is a tough thing to keep doing, for sure. And we have lost a few folks to administration, but we also have lots of folks who are saying, this is giving me new life. This is giving me new energy. It's giving me new puzzles to solve. Mm -hmm. And I remember in our last conversation, you made this beautiful point too about like so often folks leave the profession or they leave teaching or they retire and that knowledge is all lost. Well, that's the that's the Janet. You might not be able to zoom in well enough to see my glasses fog when she says 4,500 students. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're not linking to Facebook here, but I actually just, just saw it earlier today and the gaggle of past students who are, you were my favorite. I tell everyone you were my favorite. I learned to, you know, to love math because of you. If we allow, I mean, Jan, does Janet deserve to retire at some point in the future? For sure. Yes. <laughs> 30 years, 30 I mean, years deserve. of doing this. But if she goes, if she goes with the treasure chest of what she knows how to do to make 
generations, no offense, Janet, but generations of people say, you were the best math teacher I've ever had. What a loss. And so I do think it's important um, that our network is providing structure, not just to help share what you know with the person that you know, but to help share what you know across contexts that otherwise couldn't be bridged. And absolutely, I really appreciate you bringing that up. Uh, we, are, we are unique in a noise project, I think, that we do have a really diverse set of teachers in this work. We don't just have young teachers. We don't just have teachers who their counties have selected to be representatives. We have a real mix of teachers. We have teachers who are hungry to solve problems. And in, in diversity comes strength. What a great transition to my next question for Janet. Janet, I want to hear your story of how did you come to be part of M3T and why have you stayed with it? Because I know there's been ups and downs. Actually, there was an up and then a down, and then we've been trending upward ever since. So there, <laughs> there hasn't been another downward turn after that first initial one <laughs> that almost made me want to quit. But actually... This really all started the very first attempt at getting my national board certification because I was a very traditional teacher because I came from a very traditional teacher who was the greatest person that, I mean, she walked on water. I thought she was everything because whatever she told me, I learned and I just, you know, I didn't realize at the time that not everybody else in the classroom may have been learning as well as me at that time. And I didn't know that either in my first 10 years of teaching. I didn't understand that concept. So when I attempted national birth certification and I had to video and then I had to relate my video and my thinking and how did I know and all those very thought provoking questions that came along with that, I realized that I didn't know really what I was doing or how to really teach and how to really pull knowledge from my students. I didn't understand that. And so that led me on a journey to attempting professional developments, going to conferences, and then coming back into my own classroom after those being, oh, wow, I'm really going to do this. But then I realized that I was trying to revamp my entire classroom and my entire structure and my entire methods for teaching. And I would be overwhelmed with no one to turn to, with no feedback, with no support system. And I would go back <laughs> to my old ways because it was familiar, it was comfortable and I knew there was content that I had to cover and I was able to do that in my old style. So then we were starting in 2020. This is right after COVID had sort of shut us down, found an email about this M3T project. And I thought, okay, I'll give this a try. I just knew I wanted to be better. I just didn't know how, and I didn't know how to sustain that, the improvement. And when I would have a setback or a failure, I didn't understand that that was also part of the learning process. So I didn't understand all of that. So I did the application. I had a phone interview with Joanna. She didn't know me from Adam. <laughs> and I really don't 
I don't know what she or Matt saw at that time when they chose me, but they chose me on that first go around. And uh, like I said, when we started the very first year, it was all about improving in my own classroom. It was meeting with the other fellows, being paired up or grouped up with other fellows that were having the same bugs or problems or issues in their classroom. So we would get put together. We would be able to talk, uh, come up with a plan of attack, implement that plan into our classroom. And then we would come back, which was something I had never had before. You know, I would implement in my classroom, but I had no, I, I wasn't able to come back with others and say, this worked really well. This did not, this crashed and burned. And then not only would my small little group, but then we would also meet and we would tell our stories to another group and we would get their perspective. Mm -hmm. And then we would meet with another group and say, this is what we did. This is what happened. And then we would get their perspective and then being able to put all of that together and to have a sounding board and to say, you know, this really went well, try this next time that you're doing whatever it is in your classroom. This did not go well. So, <laughs> you know, maybe you have an ideal for me to improve. But everything I was trying was in my own little classroom island. Does that make sense? Previously, before M3T. And then now, whatever I try, I have 40 other fellows. Or what do we have, Joanna? I can't remember. I'm sorry. 42? 42 and, and 150 lit team participants now. So. Yes. So I have all of that support system now. So when something does really well, we all celebrate. When something crashes and burns, we all celebrate. And we <laughs> dig in <laughs> because one thing that we have learned, and I want anyone that's listening to this, when you fail at trying something new in your classroom, you are still learning. Hallelujah. Yes. You just, you take that and you come back and you start again and it's okay. And that is something that I have learned because I'm not really good with that part, you know, it's like that perfectionism in mathematics. We like everything perfect. We like everything structured. We like all the way down to the perfect right answer. And I've realized that this teaching thing and transitioning and doing new stuff in my once traditional classroom is messy. I'm excited and nervous and fearful all at the same time. <laughs> That's a great combination of emotions, I think. <laughs> That's what change feels like. Yeah, exactly. That's what growth feels like. Yeah. So Janet, you referenced here a high, highs, two highs and a low, but you didn't tell these folks about the low. Okay. So the second year is when we came in and we needed to get someone to become a part of our lit team. And I had to get someone to join me and have them collaborate in this work with me. And I did not want to. 
at all, ever. You know, I'm, I'm in the middle of focusing on transitioning my own teaching. I did not feel qualified to do that and have somebody else work with me. I didn't feel that I had the knowledge to be a leader in that aspect. And um, people were getting their lit teams in other districts. They were getting people to join them. And uh, Joanna and Matt started telling us this in September, October, November, December. And I think everyone by that time had had at least one person to join their team. And I had not even asked anyone (laughs) because I just did not feel that I had it in me to be a leader. I'm so focused on improving myself that I didn't feel that I could lead others. And Joanna told me that that was part of what I signed up for. Apparently, I glossed over the leadership part (laughs) of the application. (laughs) When, you know, teacher, I guess it did say teacher leader, but I just, I don't know. Maybe I thought I could just like wing it. I really don't know what I thought, but uh, Joanna said that I had to. That was part of my agreement, and I didn't want to. So I was I was in January trying to make a decision whether I was going to continue on with this work or if I was going to find somebody that would join this work with me that was in the building or at least, you know. So that's what happened. I, I think I said, I think I measured it. But about 150 steps down the hallway to ask uh, a fellow colleague named Don Taylor if he would be so kind and join this team and work with me and we would work on anything that he wanted to work on. It didn't have to be my bug in my classroom. Whatever he wanted to work on this year, I would work on. We would work on it. We would find a solution together. We would do the PDSA cycles on whatever he wanted to do. And bless his heart, he said he would. So then I messaged Joanna. I'm like, I've got one. Got one person. One person is willing to work with me. So there we go. And then it has been a whirlwind ever since. It has been a upward, straight up, almost. It's been amazing, actually. Can you tell us about the evolution? First Dawn, then? First Dawn, we crashed and burned on our first PDSA cycle. Uh, We, I, I'm going to own this one. Our bug in our classroom was students' mathematical vocabulary. And especially across the board, as far as, for an example, Uh, some mathematical problems would say slope, some would say rate of change, some may have said a change in Y over a change in X, and our students not recognizing all three variations of that same term meant the exact same thing. Okay, so we set up a, a cycle to work on the vocabulary as far as taking a math problem and rewriting it using other vocabulary. But then do you see this conundrum? We were asking them to use different mathematical vocabulary, but 
that was the problem we were trying to address. So how could they rewrite a problem using different math vocabulary if that was the problem from the beginning? So <laughs> it was a fiasco. It didn't work. There, there was no improvement. It was, it was really sad. But here's the point. That crash and burn failure led to us going back to the drawing board, realizing that maybe if we visually show students the different ways that math problems can be represented, then maybe we can start to recognize the change in the vocabulary. And then that was just, I mean, eye-opening. But if it had not been for that failure, we would not have went back and addressed it again, and we would not have ended up where we are now, which was a meeting with, at that time, a meeting with the superintendent and the secondary director of education, who then in turn uh, provided me with five days of professional development for all the eight, 12 math teachers in my county. They gave me a budget. They gave me supplies. They gave me autonomy to do with the professional development as I saw fit with no oversight from anyone else. It was just me and the other eight, 12 teachers in the county, which has led from that to go into this amazing summit in San Diego and speaking in front of people to where I've never spoken in front of people before with that presentation to meeting with my newest superintendent and him asking me to start this same type of improvement in our county with all of the 912 teachers next year, including the middle school teachers with us the year after that. So I have went from a non-vocal little math teacher in my classroom trying just to improve my own little space to being a voice for others. And I, I didn't know, maybe I didn't know that that voice was there, or maybe we are so accustomed to not getting to have a voice, not even getting a seat at the table. So maybe my voice has always been there. It's just no one's ever asked me the questions before. I can't keep a dry eyes around Janet. I know! Uh, me I can't. And I think that there's the implication <laughs> for policy, for funding, is profound. Because Janet is one in a million and one of many 30-year veterans with thousands of students saying, that's my favorite person, that person helped me be able to learn math. And no platform, no, not even a platform, no invitation to challenge the notion, it can't be me. I can't even walk down the hall because I don't have that expertise and what I know isn't enough for this space. We need collectively every single Janet to look left and look right and have invitation to say, if not me, then who? And no matter how wonderful, 
I mean, I do believe that the leadership Janet has is wonderful and, and needs to be uplifted, that right now Logan County Schools recognizes that there's a person in a classroom with a lower pay grade and a lower title who knows more than they know about how to get better math teaching and learning in that district and that they might actually get a ton more from really relying on her and trusting her than they will from contracting with a PD provider from somewhere else and paying that person worlds more than they would ever dream of paying someone like Janet. It's super progressive and super important to uplift those leaders who are willing to do that. And I just could not be more, I always think people use the word humbled wrong because I'm proud of it, you know, but I'm also um, in awe of, of Janet and her journey and alike of the rest of the fellows who are walking their own path in the same direction. Um, anyhow, I, not, not to overstep, but I, I have huge dreams for this work and always have since I was a baby teacher, but folks like Janet, these fellows together, this entity together is bigger than what I could dream in terms of the paradigm of possible shifting. Yeah, and I just want to, uh, I mean, there were so many things that really struck me, Janet, in hearing your story a second time. I mean, one is just the humility of when you were sharing like, oh man, this realization of like how you had taught for the first 10 years and the teacher that you wanted to be. I think about that all the time. It's, I, I don't know that there's a teacher who exists who isn't constantly singing that share song of like, if I could turn back time, you know? Um, and so I just love the humility of you like using that moment as a chance to just dig in and totally seek out a community that you could learn and reflect and grow with. And I think why your story is so important to me is it highlights your tenacity and reflectiveness as a person and like the power in teachers. And it also just the, the trust of the system and leaders in the system to be like, and hey, you're doing great work. Here's a budget, design what you think we need so that other folks can have this kind of experience and teach in this same way. I just think that it's like, yes, you're an amazing person. And there are things in the system that are like supporting you to emerge as this leader, like you said, you probably always had this voice, but you didn't have the invitation. So I just love, I wish more folks would get this invitation. Absolutely. <laughs> it's been a journey, but you know, I have been well, three years working with my fellow M3T teachers. And the first couple of years, I was known as the quiet one. I was like, we would have our Zoom meetings and everyone would have stuff to say and everybody would be talking and I'm just, you know, taking in all the information. And then one day somebody said, you know, Janet, you don't speak a lot, but when you speak, we all need to listen. And I think that was one of the first moments that I thought, wow, maybe I do have 30 years worth of knowledge that's locked in here that does need to be shared instead of just always keeping it to myself or just trying to do my thing in my classroom. And I have realized that I'm doing a disservice to the other young teachers in my building and in my district and across the network that if I don't 
speak up and share what I believe and what I think and what I know works or what I know to be true. I need to do better in that aspect as well. I never realized that until I got put in this M3T program. I didn't realize that. And I didn't realize how people like Joanna and Matt could see what was inside of me, even though I couldn't see it. And so when they're like, we want you to go to San Diego to the Carnegie Summit and to tell your story. And so like people need to hear your story. And, I, and at first I'm like, I don't watch story, <laughs> you know, and, but it's been a very eye opening journey for me professionally and boldly and leadership wise. It's, it's been an amazing transformation for myself for the past three years mm-hmm. and to not be afraid to speak up and to say that there is a better way. And I know there's a better way. And I, and I can, uh, when the superintendent asked me a few weeks ago, he said, can you do this? And I said, yes, I can. And three years ago, I would have never said that. Mm. So the journey I've had for three years and I want the people that's listening to this to realize that I understand that I'm a veteran teacher 30 years in. And I know that people tend to think that teachers with 30 years in have their foot out the door and they're just biding their time and they're just trying to get out. Not all of us are like that. Some of us are still students. We're still learning and we still have things to give. So You know, it's not always the newbies and the fresh ones coming in. And that's not an offense to any of that either. But, you know, sometimes your veteran teachers, especially that are as old as I am, have grown up in a system where it's all top mandated down. And maybe they have a voice, but they've never been asked the question. So I believe some of these districts need to go out and find some of those too, my opinion. I love that advice. When I think about this work at its best, it's transformational. And I feel like you just described something that's transformational. You described this shift and feeling like your locus of control was your classroom. And I'm going to stay quiet and I'm going to do my best for my kids to this big shift of seeing your locus of responsibility and influence to so much bigger and broader than that. I think just think that's beautiful. Okay we could keep on like this and I'm like dotting my eyes and my eye makeup is all messed up. And thanks so much, Janet, for that. Um, But, (laughs) but I want to, I want to dig into bugs yeah, because this was one of the things that I kept hearing over and over again. People were like, they're talking about bugs. I love that language of bugs. That makes so much sense. So Joanna, I want to just invite you in and like, tell us about bugs. Like, why did you guys decide to focus on bugs rather than like a driver diagram or, or whatever it might be? Well, and that's where this work doesn't start with improvement science. 
this work starts before I knew about improvement science and then re the realization of the how powerful the marriage could be. So I think what we're up to and with full blessing, I mean, it, it's been cool to get to know, you know, some of the top Carnegie brass and, and they all say this is exactly what we intended, right? Um, not that there's a Bible or a script that how things should go, but instead that this is a a way of doing business, I think at its root, I would agree with you, is transformational and does really depend on a deep and consistent roots cause analysis of what, what it is you're trying to be up to, a measurement system to help you know kind of whether you're doing anything <laughs> and in what direction those things are happening. And then um, some protocols to hold yourself accountable for your own learning more than your own outcomes. And so those are the things that feel really attractive to me and were some of them were pieces that I, I didn't hold already. But I, I do think that what bugs you language definitely predates my understanding of that. In fact, I was preparing for this <laughs> and looking back at some things that I'd written because I was feeling a little bit uninspired, like doing a lot of stuff. And, um, and my very first blog post of a blog that didn't live very long because I just couldn't keep paying attention to it was what's, what's bugging you? I do believe from the, the minute um, I had, had one great administrator a long time ago who gave me sense of how important it was to define what I wanted him to look for when he was coming into my classroom. And that was sort of the so empowering to me to say, okay, the value of this other person is to be a mirror for the things that I care about kind of um, shifted my thinking. And, and, and when I first asked the man who is now retiring as superintendent or, or leaving as superintendent here, but was director of federal programs, boy, 11 years ago when I started um, this work here in the district. And when I had to pitch to him, I said, I just wanna work with teachers to open their doors together and to share boldly what's going well and what's bugging you. And what's going well is a thing that is ready to share. We're ready to help each other understand that. We're ready to invite each other in to watch our practice to see this thing that's going well. And what's bugging you has to be as well. It has to be an open door because it's around that that we can create community. I really was thinking about the best version of a teacher's lounge. The worst version of a teacher's lounge is you all get in together and everybody talks over one, one another about why their idea is the best idea, whether it be how I assign homework or what my sign out policy is for the bathroom. It doesn't make anybody feel good. It doesn't make anybody friends. It doesn't solve any problems. But if you can be in a teacher's lounge in a moment where somebody says, hey, I wonder about this thing, or man, I can't make this work no, I can't either. Wonder why that is. Those are engaging lunch conversations. That's when you're late to get back and unlock your door and the kids are all through the hallway. And so I think it's rooted in that basic understanding of what makes a day of teaching feel good and what makes it feel frustrating or bad. What makes you feel good about your colleagues and, help, and able to learn from them and what makes you feel bad. And I think what's bugging you is the central piece of that. I also really believe that it's a fundamental invitation to change work, which is hard. And it's a parallel to what we say about kids all the time, right? We want the question formulation techniques, right? Those are the center of engagement for students to learn. Can they ask a question, right? So it really is inviting teachers to ask a question together. And when you bring that 
notion, if, if you ascribe to that, <laughs> which really did work here in, in one case, very small district, but worked to hold teachers engaged, everybody kept coming back, and we actually invented some language protocols over the course of a few years rooted in thinking about the problem. Why is it actually a problem? Why can't kids talk about math? Uh, why are they uncomfortable, right? Each of those whys has this, all these tentacles of things that you can operate on if you go deep enough. And so I loved the visual of a fishbone diagram. I loved the idea that a person should revisit such a thing. And so in our network, our fishbone is really the operational piece. A driver diagram is holding it's almost our filing system for what are we changing and what are we learning so that somebody else can look it up but how we start each new group of friends that comes together so lit stands for local improvement team and those folks come together to learn together around a shared problem of practice but we're not bringing that to them like matt and i aren't looking at oh statewide it appears that dot 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 so everybody should do dot 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 but i do think what i've learned my way into is that if we're really talking about a transfer of agency and on the sky level that's what's really attractive to me about network improvement communities it's sort of saying no we don't want to find a solution and force everybody to mangle themselves with tons of extra funding and support to make that solution work with fidelity in the same way in the same classrooms. Almost everyone knows that doesn't work. We've done tons of research, and anyone who's in this family of people interested in improvement science <laughs> has heard this talk a bazillion times, but like the needle's not really moving right, on this intractable problem of kids learning more. And we can talk about it on any scale, but certainly we can talk about it in math. And so it calls for a, a different paradigm. But I, I think we're missing something, because if you charter a network improvement community with a small group of thought leaders, and those folks are the ones who define the problem, then you're just making a larger figurehead to the same ship. And so what we're doing is a little bit messy. It's not true that all of our folks are trying the same protocols right? Because they're not all interested in the same part of the problem. It's not true that we have a super clean measurement system because different subsets of folks are working on different arms of the problem. But it is true that we have a super engaged group of people really interested in what students are saying about learning conditions in their class and learning new ways to interact with all kinds of data certainly including benchmarking and outcome data on standardized tests, but also including, you know, student-driven data, marking different moments in class to look for different moments of engagement. Uh, some of the things that really are leading indicators for driving better outcomes for teaching and learning. I feel like I have gone off into outer space because I get really fired up about this and gotten pretty far away from the question that you asked me in the first place. But I, if I had any advice to another group who wanted to work in this way, something that's so transferable, whether or not you're trying to do something as large scale as we're doing, is to check yourself early and often about where the agency lies. When decisions are being made, is the agency closest to the doer? And if it's not, what changes can you make? And I have to ask myself that often. I wrangle with that because it is the enemy of clarity and clean systems. <laughs> Putting agency closer to the doers makes things more tangled. Mm -hmm. It makes things more complicated and it makes things more diverse. And it requires that we have an interactive 
relationship with both our driver diagram and our fishbone and our whole measurement system. But I do believe we're starting to learn in year three that we can start to watch where is interest coalescing. So over all of these 200 odd classrooms right now, where are these teachers' eyes drawn? We do have a big collective map of what are the reasons more students aren't doing more math. And we're starting to kind of color code that to match our driver diagram to kind of house these change ideas and watch where those things are happening. And in coming year, we're going to be preview of our summer institute, Janet, we're going to be focusing, um, deciding where we're focusing much more on which measures we really believe best associate themselves with those outcomes and, and, and thinking about what are the low-hanging fruit things that we could be watching, inclusive of kind of some of the um, practical measures that we're using at a, at a student level. But that's the thing that gets people to come back, right? It, it's a variation on notice wonder, right? It is. It's, it's really leaving it up to you and your brain to say, what is interesting to me here? What compels me? What drives me? Because it's not true that there's a dearth of really great ideas to make math classrooms better. They're everywhere. What's true is that we don't have the attention span and the fuel to learn our way into making them work for us in our context. Um, and I think leading with a bug is a huge piece of the solution to that. Mm -hmm. And what, what I'm really appreciating in what you said, too, is just this this invitation to get really clear on where does the agency lie in the development of the work, in the work as it is enacted. And what's really striking to me is, you know, you, you mentioned before that, you know, we're all unpacking the, the same problem. Why aren't more students doing more math in our classrooms? But that problem came from us. Like it came from teachers and right. the bugs are coming from us and the solutions are gonna come from us digging into those bugs. And so there's just like this beautiful, like it's all coming, it's all coming from us. I mean, it's, there's a, there's a parallel there that I'm not articulating well to Janet, what you shared of like, maybe I had a voice all along. Just like, yeah. maybe we have the ideas all along, but this is like the path that we needed to get to the learning to enact it in our context. Yeah. So that's, thank you. I would love to hear a little bit more about just what are some of the bugs that are up for you and how do you how do you support folks in coming up with change ideas because i'm guessing it's not just well this is your bug so you should do this so what do you guys do <laughs> messy <laughs> janet do you want to do a personal answer first or would you like me to do kind of the wide lens of what everybody's up to i'll do a personal one first this year like last year i only had one person on my lit team but then after the professional development and everything this past summer, my entire math department, which are five of us, all joined in and we all worked together this year. So I went from one to five and felt a lot more comfortable in the role of, I guess, leadership. But really, it was all of us collectively working together. I kind of just guided the way a little bit. But our... Uh, Big concern was students' discourse, not enough students talking about mathematics beyond what did you get for answer number, you know, what did you get for problem number five? What was the answer? And 
all five of us, we all decided that we needed to improve the discourse in our classroom. And so I, um, I have two long-term subs, a newbie teacher. I think it was, I think it's his second year. And then you have Mr. Taylor and myself with 30 years. Okay. So this is what we have. And so I suggested several different things. And then we settled on uh, incorporating Robert Komplinski's open middle math problems to where there's multiple ways to get to the problem. Uh, we started with non-curricular problems first. For example, there was a problem that we worked on. It was an order of operation problem. And you had all of the blocks that you had to fill in with the numbers from one through nine. And you had to get the largest possible number. And then we would revert it back and do the smallest possible number. Some of us did vertical whiteboards to where we had the students all up and about in the classroom working on those. Some of us had them at our tables because uh, I believe just about every one of us now have those wonderful dry erase marker tables, which are amazing. It's amazing how a student will write with a marker as opposed to a pencil. But, you know, We started with non-curricular because, one, I was instructing the teachers on how to use this concept of open middle. Two, it's easier to teach your students how to do open middle problems when they were non-curricular. And then we would, we did a just a simple tally of um, how many students did you see actively engaged. And as a teacher, you can walk around the room and know whether they're talking about the latest video game that night that they set up till 2 a.m. to play or if they're talking mathematical. So we did that. We saw, you know, well over 80 percent, 90 percent of active participation with the students of actually talking math. And so that was a, a bug of ours. And that was something that was really small, simple, just and that's another thing. Not some big, huge overhaul. It's just something small, small little change. Take a measurement, a simple measurement to see what's happening. Look at that data. Decide if we needed to improve or change or what adaptations we were going to have to it. And then try it again. And so simple little changes. And that was something that came about. We all loved it. We've all adopted it. The district bought us all the open middle math book so that we could have that as a reference guide. And so that was that was the one thing that my lit team and I, that's what we worked on this year, was just to improve a little bit of discourse, having students talking about mathematics beyond just the rote steps and learning and what did you get for number five. Mm -hmm. I just want to call out that it's incredibly distinct what Janet's team did. Janet's team defined a bug, talked amongst themselves about why that bug exists. And I I do think that 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 kind of excavating the why is where sometimes people are inventing new structures um, or they're just better understanding what their hunch is as to why that 
particular thing is happening. And Janet provided an example before of, you know, thinking that we wanted to connect different terms that mean, mean the same thing. But her excavation of that included the failure of her initial change idea. She's better able to understand what the root cause of that problem was. And in this case, it's better understanding the root cause that led her to, and Janet, I might be mistaken, but part of our protocols are that you have a meeting structure that's pretty similar across everybody who's having a lit team meeting to kind of define their bug and ask themselves those five whys. It's a counseling protocol, but we've co-opted it into, into teaching land. Mm -hmm. And then you come to a whole network meeting with all 29 districts and their own lit teams represented and we kind of randomize who, which groups talk to whom, but they go into breakout rooms and they say, this was our bug, give us all your ideas. So they're getting outside their own context in a real structure and being able to hear from other people. And other people can sort of say, hey, have you considered this? Have you considered this? Read this thing. What about that book? I heard this. And then they go back and have another meeting and say, hey, what do we have appetite here for, <laughs> right? What seems doable to us? What's low enough leverage that we could actually give it a go? And that makes a really different level of buy-in, not just for Janet's team, but across everybody. Because it started with your problem. You got advice on your problem. You came back together to decide what are we all willing to do. And that's not necessarily going to be us agreeing to do the thing that was most interesting to each person. Those people can keep doing those things that they want to. It's just that we're all going to talk about this piece of it, the piece that we're all ready for. So I just wanted to call it that I think that's pretty different. And, and build on what Janet said, network-wide, and this is now over the course of three years of this particular funding. We had private funding for a year and had a kind of development year to kind of figure out what the appetite was for doing work in this way and whether or not districts would allow us to because we're not internal to the Department of Education. We're not internal. And it really is giving teachers a lot of agency that usually is held by curricular specialists or directors. Um, so we had a year for that as well. So now looking at really five years of working on this gigantic fishbone diagram and they really do categorize into three boxes. The bugs that really wake people up and say, I want to work on these things. We acknowledge far more bugs in the landscape of why more students aren't doing more math, including, you know, lack of breakfast, really all the way down to, to that grain size. Uh, but three really have bubbled up and one of them is improving math discourse. I don't think we're alone in this, but I definitely think it is a big deal um, in an Appalachian culture in particular, where we do relate by talking. We are talkers. Our traditions are oral traditions, and to to expect that the frontier of education is going to be students alone with their bots on their computers, that's not how we're going to learn. It's not it's not how we interact. Um, it's not cultural responsive at all. So there are a lot of reasons why talk is important to everybody, but I think it's particularly important to us, also in a place where the way in which we um, communicate with each other is pretty far from academic discourse. Um, and it's righteous. We don't want to walk away from that, right? We want to be able to talk the way we talk with the words that we use um, in our own context and be able to solve really tough math problems. But we don't want to have a divide from a world that might use some different language sometimes. So we, 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 we found that across all of these districts, that's really important. The next ones that people have, have kind of coalesced around are uh, kind of student mindset about mathematics, um, their own agency, so really thinking about who's doing the doing in the classroom. If we want all students doing math, right, 
who's the doer? Is it the teacher doing the doer? Where's the heavy lifting? Is it, if it's students, which students is it? Is it just a few of them carrying the rest of them on their back? Um, and certainly uh, thinking about productive struggle in that bucket of things. And the last bucket of things is if all students are doing math, what in the heck do we mean by math? <laughs> Um, and so we really do have a whole set of bugs that are related to what are we assessing, uh, what are we offering, what, what do tasks look like, what does practice look like, what if we messed with some of that sum, like where are we treating those things distinctly, where are the connections, and, and importantly, in COVID for everyone, but in West Virginia in particular, um, we definitely have a lot of students that aren't grade level ready. So how do we dance with the absolute need to teach grade level content to a class of kids for whom 75% of them might not be grade level ready? So a lot of the work that we did actually in year two, people got really fired up about how do I make um, just in time prerequisite content kind of dance with the current thing I need to be teaching and how do I make that as fluid as possible without kind of pausing grade level teaching and learning. So those, those are the three big buckets across the five years and all the teachers. And we're happy to share all of that too, by the way, if anyone would like to sort of look at what does our driver look, look like, that's our filing cabinet again for what those buckets are and how we define them. And also our great big fishbone, we'd be happy to share this. We'll link that to the show notes. That would be great. And I just have to say, as we've led a math network for the past five years now as well, and everything that you're saying totally resonates with what we have found also. And especially this, just this idea of um, like our tagline of our first math network was abolishing the phrase, I'm not a math person. That was like our goal, just to abolish yeah. that phrase. And so much of that came down to redefining how we even thought about what math was and redefining right. that with students so that they could see themselves as smart and mathematical in yep. ways that they hadn't seen before. So all of that just makes so much sense to me. I love that y'all are working on those bugs. I share those bugs. I'm excited to see what comes, what comes out of them for sure. I wanted to, Janet, just dig into a little bit more. You've described yourself as someone who used to be like 100% traditional math teacher, and now those percentages are all sorts of different for you. Can you just paint a picture for us of how does math teaching look different for you now? Like what has, what has shifted in terms of what it looks like for you as a teacher and how your students experience your classroom? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I used to be the, I'll do it. We do it and then you do it. So, you know, that was just about how every day ran. We would come in and I would do some examples. They would do some examples with me. They would practice a couple and then they would get 10 or 15 problems. This is what you do. So now I still truly believe in direct instruction. However, Instead of 100% of that, I'm going to say I'm around 60-40 now. So, for example, um, I did a lesson on scatter plots. So, instead of just coming in and here's the vocabulary, copy this vocabulary down, uh, here's a scatter plot, this is what we do with the scatter plot, this is how we do the line of best fit, I actually started the class with the which one doesn't belong it's like I put up four scatter plots and then I just 
said, which one doesn't belong? And I know that just sounds like so simple, but it was, it's magnified in the classroom when we spend five minutes of just letting them look at the four different scatter plots and seeing which one doesn't belong. And they have to justify that within their group, maybe share out to the entire class. And not that I don't eventually do a little bit of direct instruction from there, but just that shift of five minutes or 10 minutes, whatever the conversation lends itself to. I mean, I didn't realize what I was taking away from my students by not allowing them a chance to talk and to share. And I didn't realize how much I was keeping them from learning from others by not giving other kids in the classroom a chance to talk and to share that I I don't have to always be the dispenser of all knowledge. And that has been a shift for me. You know, I've had to give up a little bit of control. I've had to learn how to handle control chaos, I guess I should say. And I know people think maybe that that's a simple thing, but it's not always so simple to allow the students to get into a conversation and to bring them back. Anybody who's teaching knows that. Yes. But people outside of that, I don't think they realize how difficult it is to allow students to take part in their own learning and their own conversations and to share their knowledge but then to be able to bring them all back to get to another point that you're wanting to address and to bring them back. So just simple, which one doesn't belong and notice wonder. Oh my gosh, I taught geometry last year and notice wonder was, you know, getting ready to do parallel lines cut with a transversal, you know, put up a parking lot. What do you notice? Put up a street map. What do you notice? And how that lent itself to going into the lesson and how much more engaged they were instead of here's parallel lines and a transversal. Oh, these angles are alternate interior angles. They are the same, you know? And here's, here's what's baffling. You would think after 28 years by this time that I would realize that I would know, but I didn't know. I didn't realize. Because, because don't you think because of those constructs are, 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 they pull at each other, right? It does complicate things to transfer more agency. I don't know. I'm just, I'm having this like a little bit of light bulb. Y'all can watch me do my work right now because I'm about to change something I'm going to do next week. <laughs> Um, but I, I do think, you know, where you're putting more agency for like, you know, what, what is learning even in the first place? And so if learning is not just a, a transfer, but instead is a growth <laughs> almost, um, that you're, you're letting that be closer to kids. And in so doing, you're creating more chaos for yourself. And I would just like to call out right now that if you talk to a bunch of people involved with improvement science around math education, they would all be like, oh yeah, well, we all know that. But then I would like, I would wanna say to them, well, what about you? <laughs> so are you allowing in the same way 
that notice wonder of your teachers to shape your whole ship and are you can you hold your breath through the chaos that will ensue because it will break your measurement system that was really simple in your bogus four-week chartering phase that doesn't work like that um so i'm just being a little pest right now and saying uh first of all i do like to um rabble rouse but true west virginian style here we'll give you a little a little history lesson that a, a redneck the word redneck we're reclaiming it because it came really from the very first union organizers before those unions were even called unions with their red handkerchiefs around their neck um, so we are pot stirrers from way back neither north nor south <laughs> um, and and i i think our network embodies that right creating this new space that that didn't exist before when i was listening to janet right now i was i, I was thinking huh wonder if we could make little dials on these change ideas because it's important to know impact and often that's the only thing we talk about right so janet started using a notice wonder protocol in all kinds of places before she started um, really doing her direct instruction, which she's not going to step totally away from. And by the way, Janet, totally agree with you. I am not a Kool-Aid drinker that thinks we should all shift away from um, really well done direct instruction. That would be so silly um, to think that every child's going to develop their way through thousands of years of mathematics on their own in 13 years <laughs> under our tutelage is goofy. Um, but I think impact we need to marry with ease and spillover. So these are the two things that I thought was actually really interesting about what you just said. You were calling out that there was complexity, right? So it made your system of your classroom harder to deal with, uh, less easy for you to turn a notice wonder right in the beginning of class when you wanted to then bring them back and move right on to something. But if that ease is balanced with a spillover factor, in other words, if we're going to do you know, non-curricular related tasks, like we're gonna do an order of operations thing, which is a fifth grade thing, right? If we're gonna do that in a 10th grade classroom, then we would only really wanna do that or tell someone else that maybe they should do that if we're gonna see some actual spillover into those kind of discussions getting easier, more comfortable, um, more, more relevant to the course content itself. So it does seem like it would be really interesting to think about our huge inventory of all these change ideas with three meters on them, ease, impact, and spillover. Mm. Anyhow, I thought I would just share that aloud instead of just writing it down right now um, <laughs> in terms of a, a next move for us internal to our network. Well, that's one of our one of our favorite tools that we come back to all the time. I guess it's called the pick chart in, in medicine, but the whole like ease and impact matrix and where do right. things land but i think it, i think it's the third piece the spillover piece that is that's what just fired me up right now and i also appreciate just this acknowledgement that like teaching in this way isn't necessarily easier it can be more challenging more complicated more uncertain <laughs> more also yes jump in janet i see you like going like yeah yes <laughs> actually um that has really it's really messed with my pacing <laughs> of covering content. I know that we're covering it deeper and that there's more understanding. So I'm still trying to figure out how to do that pace, cover all the contents that I need to cover and maintain and not want to slip back into the ease and the comfort of just direct traditional instruction. So 
it, it's been kind of messy and I've have really felt this year, particularly, I have not felt the flow that I normally feel or the ease that I normally feel in my classroom. So I believe that's a good thing. It's just been a hard thing <laughs> to adapt and to handle and to be okay at the end of the day, still kind of feel that I don't know if all that went well, but still being okay with, I think I like it and make notes and I can do that better next year mentality. That's where I am right now. I'm trying, learning, failing, going back, succeeding, going back, and trying to keep notes of everything that I've done differently this year. All of these little bits and pieces have been incorporated into my classroom. Yet, I don't feel like I flowed well, and I still feel very discombobulated from the whole experience. And I guess growth comes from being kind of uncomfortable and I have to get out of my comfort zone. So, but it's been okay. We all survived. I, I believe we, we made it. <laughs> well, and one of the, one of the things that I'm struck by too, is just like as teachers, we try things all the time. Yes. But I think what's powerful about the stories that you shared is that because you were noticing how students were responding, noticing whether they were engaged, even when those things feel harder, there's more of a investment in like, but I'm going to keep on keeping on because I see how this is making a difference for my students. Like I can see it in their work and in their discussion and how they're relating to each other. So I just think that gathering of the evidence and reflecting on it is so powerful. Well, a big portion of it is that it was my problem collectively with other fellows from this group. It was a solution that we developed and we incorporated. And then I have my fellows to go back to, to say, this is what happened. Then we meet with other fellows and say, this is what happened. We get feedback. This is how it happened in my classroom. Try this or try that. So I'm not in my classroom all by myself anymore. And it's not just my problem. It's problems that everybody within this community, our fellows and our lit teams, we all have these, but it's ours. It's not somebody that doesn't even know us, that doesn't even know West Virginia is actually a state that's coming in here and, you know, pushing it down our throats. I mean, it's really, we have come together. So it wasn't something that I learned in a conference and I brought back to my classroom and thought I'd try it. It was a solution to a problem that I was having that came from this collective work. And therefore, I have much more ownership and much more desire to see it succeed in my classroom and to see the effect that it's going to have on my students as opposed to it coming from somebody else. So being able to find the good parts along with the bad parts and to be accepting of all of it collectively 
is what really has transformed me this year. It's been a tough one. It's been hard. I'm not saying that it's been easy, but along this path and this journey, I've learned that I can do hard and I can do it pretty well. I didn't realize that I could, but I can do hard and I can stick with it because it was mine and it was my agency in my classroom with support from everyone else throughout the state that's in this program. I love that. So in improvement, a lot of attention has gone to things that are not instruction. These are the stories that are most readily available to us in a lot of cases. Things like making sure students are on track to graduate, making sure they have access to college, reducing suspensions, reducing chronic absenteeism. These are all like super important problems. There's amazing work happening across the country also focused on literacy, math, science. Those stories are often a lot more complicated to tell, so we don't hear them as much. And it seems like as a result, maybe, of our lack of storytelling or inadequate storytelling, I think some folks are skeptical that improvement can actually improve teaching and learning. And I'm curious, what would you all say to this? My answer is twofold. One is that those treating systemic issues and personal growth as one in the same problem spaces is just a mistake to start out with. So if there are a version of the tools of improvement that work really well to improve problems like whether or not a student walks in the door, while there are a lot of complex root causes to something like that, the locus of control of the school is pretty similar school to school. And that's not anywhere near as complex a problem as teaching and learning math. And what you're treating in the case of absenteeism, college access, I feel like gets a little closer, but I, I feel like the problem that you're treating is uh, looking for a better way for a system to do business, not an individual to do business. And so because of that, a system doesn't have a personality. It has a culture and you can affect that culture over time, but you don't need to pay as much attention to the system as a sentient being, if that makes any sense. Whereas I really believe um, that the, the, the variation that we're up to here, getting better teaching and learning to happen where there do exist a lot of great ideas for that to happen, and the, the bigger issue is whether or not attention can be paid to fitting those ideas um, to the right place with the right nuance and a learning frame. That requires this bug piece to be central. This is really my philosophy, right? I think that's the distinction. And I would say that we're a case to watch carefully. I think that we have some early indicators that something really good is going on across veteran teachers, brand new teachers, um, and everywhere in the middle. But we don't have that outcome data as yet. And if we do have it, if we do grow it, we expect it to last. Um, I do think it's interesting that the way we're doing business is grown from a 10-year experiment in one district. And I think that's important. This isn't an idea coming from you know, hey, we just think this is going to work, so let's get a lot of money and a lot of people invested in this thing that happened in an ivory tower. That's not at all what's happening. 
what was built initially was built in teachers' hands through teacher learning. And I think that's got to be the distinction in those spaces. But uh, much earlier in this podcast, you talked about that this is transformational work. And it has to be in the world of teaching and learning if it's going to have impact. So this can't just be an additional form to fill out when you are implementing the new district level PD initiative. Like if it's that, it's not this. <laughs> and so to run a system where transformation is possible means you have to up your tolerance for chaos, just like Janet does in her system of her classroom. And I, I think it requires some folks to come together. And I, I, I'm sad I didn't, didn't meet you in San Diego, but some of the folks that I did meet um, who are doing similar work really do agree there's a need for those of us that are trying to do this um, at scale and with brutal honesty to come together and really learn from one another what are those hunches and what's the evidence to support them and also what are those hunches and what data supports those hunches in the cases where this work does not seem to be working. I think that's going to be a necessary next step. Stacy, the very first year when we got introduced to this thing called the fishbone diagram, and we were brainstorming all of the reasons that students were not doing mathematics in the classroom. So we brainstormed, and some of it was the content standards, the curriculum, the kids not coming to school, and a whole host of those type of issues. And then the very next thing was, what ones do we, as the fellows, as the teachers, what ones do we have control over? What ones can we move the scale? And so if you'll see that fishbone hanging beside Joanna there, mm -hmm. those bones, those bones that's on this side that you can see are primarily the ones that we really don't have a lot of say or control over. It's all the stuff that's over on the other side. I can improve the discourse in my classroom by improving the type of task I give to my students. I can work on by the time I get kids in the ninth grade that they've decided that they hate math and where they got that from, I don't know. But by the time they get into the ninth grade, it's so embedded. But I can work on that. You know, I can work on questioning skills. I can work on teaching students how to critique others' works. These are the things that we were taught to focus on, the things that we had control over, the things that we could actually improve in our own classroom. And if we improve that, we are improving. Now, I have no say over the absenteeism in my classroom. I'm not I not calling moms and dads and I can't get them up and the grandparents and the aunts and uncles or whoever it is that's raising this kid at this time and whatever other issues. But when they get in my classroom, that's when I can control things. And so... From the very beginning, we were taught and discussed, find the things that we have control over, what we can improve in our classroom, and just, we can't deal with those other ones right now. That's not, you know, that's out of our realm, but what we can improve 
is what we do in our classroom and what we, we do with the other teachers in our building and our other network, our lit teams. And then if we just start there, how many students are we impacting now, Joanna? What was our number with all of our fellows and our lit? I think we had 10,000 survey responses this year. Wow. So there you go. I mean, I understand on track, and that's a huge thing that we have to hear every year about our freshmen, because Algebra 1 is one of the most failed classes in the building. In the country. And that right there is getting them off track. So how do we get them on track? So we get that all the time. And we get the absenteeism all the time. We get the graduation rate. That is another measuring stick on our school. But once we were told and then to focus on what can we control and what can we improve in our own classroom, I'm sitting here talking to you, living proof of a transformation of what can happen. And you cannot, no one can tell me that my kids are not getting an improvement because I'm improved. Does that make sense? It, the ones that I have in my classroom, it has to be an improvement just because I myself have improved. Dang. I was going to ask if there's any final words, but I feel like that was kind of a mic drop moment, <laughs> but I'll also still ask, is there <laughs> anything else you got anything that's on your minds or hearts that you want to get out before we say goodbye to folks? I'm honored to be here representing our entire network. You know, we are two of 50 folks doing this work with our, our, our staff and our, and our fellows, not quite 50, but, but close. We're, we're a, um, a thin boned group of folks, but any one of them could have been on here. And so I, I, I'm glad to be here myself. I'm glad to be with Janet, but, but just want to uplift the entire group and all of our districts and our department of ed for really taking a chance. This was taking a chance. This is not something that's happened before. Um, that's sort of coming here with a, a lot of a lot of data to back it. Um, and it's really exciting to be doing that. And I, and I just want to double down that it, it's hard to get in and out of West Virginia physically um, and also it, with professional contacts. Um, our mountains are real in both senses. And it just absolutely means the world to the folks, whoever they were, who referenced to you that we should talk and also that you took time to get to know us. You know, I, I say this often and I have a I definitely have a, a soapbox for it, but one in five students in this country are in rural schools and context matters. The solutions that are going to help urban schools get better are not the same solutions. Some of the, there might be spillover, but they're not the same solutions in rural spaces. Oftentimes we have much less teacher turnover. And so if we could get a little bit more attention thrown on promising practice in rural spaces where there are by and large far fewer funders, far fewer universities, <laughs> far fewer kind of folks actually noticing what's happening. So I just really want to uplift you for for um, thinking that the world needs to hear a little bit about what we're up to here and really invite and encourage other folks to connect. So big, big thanks for um, for your time and also for the thoughtful way in which you engaged us in 
and really thinking about what we're what we're up to here. I, I look forward to to knowing you further and just just want to say a big thanks. I feel like you guys are both brilliant. I want you to be my two new best friends. I'm working on getting you to San Diego. We're in. So. <laughs> we're, in. <laughs> we're in. Oh my gosh, yeah. I love the city. That was beautiful to visit. I'd never been there and it was absolutely, I just loved it. But again, and just like Joanna said, you know, I'm just one story representing everybody has their story of their improvement and their journey. And I'm honored to be the one that's representing us, even though it was, uh, I guess I should say <laughs> something that I didn't aspire to do. <laughs> But that I have learned to grow, to to speak, and to use my voice. So it's an honor and a privilege to be representative of West Virginia, of Logan County, of the M3T Network, Joanna, Matt, Stacy. You've been lovely. I'm telling you. You just and just like I had said about Joanna, how she makes everyone in the room feel great and wonderful and. You've done the same for me. Both times that we've met and talked, uh, I felt better when I left. So thank you very much for that as well. Well, I'm a big believer that um, those who are clamoring the least for the mic are the ones who deserve it the most. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, I'm going to stop recording. <laughs> Hitekai Unboxed is hosted and edited by me, Alec Patton. Our theme music is by Brother Herschel. Huge thanks to Janet Hanshaw, Joanna Burt Kinderman, and Stacey Callier for this conversation. We've included a link to the Ed Week article about M3T in our show notes, as well as links to the M3T website and the Center for Research on Equity and Innovation. Thanks for listening. <laughs>